Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. I want to return to our journey here, and uh, we've had a, a, a few, I uh, see that Kathy's back with us. Kathy, we're so sorry at the loss of your father praying for you as a church. We've had a couple other families have gone through very difficult circumstances and uh, Lord help us take care of our hearts in times of loss and comfort us. Surround us with your love and the families who are uh, just gripped with grief right now. Help them to grieve well. Just get beside them. Part of your comfort is grieving with us. And so we receive, Holy Spirit, how you grieve with our hearts when they hurt. And we just thank you that you're going to take care of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, two weeks ago, and hopefully there's no more snow days. Hopefully. So we'll, we'll see, uh, you know. Um, so right now we're in the we're right in the middle of doing being the difference between being under law and under grace. So it's just a a, a little peek at at what it is because I think for many of our hearts is, and I know that you guys are here and that you're convinced in your heart of what of what we teach here and. Uh, though we don't often call it that, what our theology is and what our doctrine is and what our understanding is as we try to navigate through that and navigate through life. And um, I I think one of the difficult things to explain to people uh, about grace is actually the corresponding thing that goes with it, which is the law. And the law and grace are not antonyms. They're not against each other. Um, Christ fulfilled the law on your behalf that you might receive his grace. And I I think that we have a tendency when others... The reason I'm doing this whole series is really about sharing our story and our lives with other people and the incredible story of grace. Uh, I, I engage people on it over and over and over again. And I think for grace-based people, it becomes a point of frustration because you feel that there's this longing that they would get it. Do you you know what I mean? It's just like any other type of witnessing, if you will, or sharing, whatever words you want to put on that, talking about God's love, that kind of stuff. And there's a little bit of a frustration because you want them to get it so bad but they have a tendency to not understand certain things. And, and when we understand them in our hearts, it makes it, there, there comes a grace and an ease in our lives as we share Christ with others, as we share who he is, what he's done. And um, so I want to go through this series. And so the next thing I want to talk about is the law and the purpose of the law, because understanding the law and the way we were taught it in the past can actually be counterproductive to growth in our lives. Really much. Um, The law is incredible. 
Uh, it's an incredible thing, but it has particular purposes, and so I want to talk about four purposes of law. Now, this isn't all-encompassing, but it's four that we're most often not taught as to what the purpose of the law is. So it starts again with, we looked at the last time we were together with Galatians 3, and so I want to begin there again so we can see the purpose of the law. So Galatians 3.10 says this, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. You can't have the law without the results of the law. It's an impossibility. That's what the law is. The law has a, a... a curse in it. And uh, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Now, these are t- both of these are two old covenant passages that look like they're in direct conflict with each other, but they're actually not. Uh, we are not, the law cannot justify anybody, even when the law was given in the old covenant, that is not what justified people, them doing the law. That's why there was a sacrifice, because they couldn't keep the law. It was impossible. So they had to have faith, now think through this with me, just a little old covenant primer, if you will. They had to have faith in the blood of an animal that was put on the altar to remove or wash over or take away their sin. So years and years and years of doing that, they still had, they had to have faith that that, would, that that was what sufficed. It wasn't that they kept the law. That's where the Pharisees got off. They thought that their righteousness kept from doing every little thing in the law, and their righteousness was not attained by that. Their righteousness was attained by an animal being sacrificed on their behalf and them receiving it. Sound like a familiar New Testament? So Jesus shows up on the scene, and there's John, the prophetic voice, sees him coming, and he cries out, Behold, who oh my gosh, the just live by faith in that lamb, in Jesus. That's how we live. So it's really important that we see this, and he ends this in in Galatians 3, verse 12. Yet the law is not of faith. They don't harmonize. But the man who does them shall live by that. So what he's saying here, if you're going to live by the law to look to be justified with it, then you have to do not some, but all. For the scripture says, if you sin against one part of the law, you've sinned against the whole, all of it, the law. You know, it's, it's sort of like this. God doesn't grade on a curve. There's no standard bell curve. Well, uh, these, uh, these guys at the top are okay, even though they're C's, they're average, they're okay. And the A's are probably in for sure. Uh, 
and then there's the people that fell on the other side of the bell curve. They're in deep trouble. They can't get it. God doesn't grade that way. God graded on one thing, which is the cross. One thing and one thing only. So then, uh, you cannot please God by keeping the law. It is faith, Hebrews 11, that pleases God. How many of you, including Lloyd, here's my hand up first, I would have said I'm saved by grace and it's all about grace and I'm not trying to earn my way into heaven and yet I live to keep the law. I, I did that. I didn't even have to be taught it. It was like a secret law of the soul that said, something inside of me said, show me the line and I'll press it across. Now when you're young, you have a lot of energy to do that. I, I don't know whether it was I wanted to prove my worth, uh, wanted to prove that Christianity worked. I don't know what all the, I, I'm not smart enough to figure out what all the intentions of my heart were, but I know this, I wanted to be good. I didn't want to be ba- a bad boy. I didn't want to be a naughty little boy. I wanted God to be delighted with who I was trying to be. Trouble is, I didn't know he was so delighted in who I was in the first place that he wasn't thinking about how bad a little boy I was. He was thinking about his son being in me. And he was completely delighted, as he has always been, with his son. He was always delighted with Jesus. And what I was never taught is... I knew that Jesus lived in me, but what I didn't understand is the delight of God was in me. And he was completely pleased with the delight of God being in me. The whole purpose in him doing this was to live in us. Isn't that stunning? It just kind of, the more I meditate on it, I go, oh. It wasn't for me to, like, prove that God existed. It was for me to enjoy in him I live and move and have my being. To have, to, to have this relationship with God. And I didn't have to prove anything. You cannot trust. Well, let's put it this way. You can trust in your own law-keeping performance or you can trust in the grace of God, but you can't do both. It won't work. That was how I lived. For like a long time. I would tell people I was living otherwise, but in the secret, secret, secret place. And I knew all the, I was smart enough to figure out all the doctrinal stuff and how to say the stuff that explains stuff away. I, it's, it's, maybe that's some of you right now. Maybe that's most of you right now. I don't know. But I knew enough and I, you know, I knew enough of the word, and I had listened to enough teachings, but those weren't making me any different. I was still coming to this same fork in the road all the time, and I just wouldn't, I don't know what, uh, yeah, I do. The mercy of God rescued me. It just got to the point, I got to the end of that, the end of the road, I went clear down the road of good intentions and got to the end. You know, there's a cliff there. 
We think that road goes ever on into heaven. No, there's, a, there's a, like a giant chasm that goes, you can't do this. And one step further and you're going to fall. And so my wily coyote of a heart, you know, and I'd look around for the Acme rocket to shoot me across and it just wasn't there. If grace and law are exclusive, here's what happens. When we mix them together, you don't get the benefits of either. Non-grace people tell you that you have to balance grace and law. And when you do that, you don't have the benefit of either one of them. It doesn't work. They don't balance each other. Grace and law are not two sides. They're not the yin and yang, the positive and the negative, the good and the evil. They're not. So we say within a size of ourselves, most of the time when we're trying to figure this out so that we can tell somebody else what happened inside of us with grace... Um, normally we, we talk about the law giving us the knowledge of right and wrong. Um, actually, it doesn't do that. Uh, it was actually the forbidden tree that we weren't supposed to have anything to do with that did that. Uh, there's more to life than doing good and avoiding evil. And if that's what our Christianity is, get ready for misery. It's not joyful. It's not life-giving. It's not life-fulfilling. And if I wasn't a believer, I wouldn't want to listen to anybody that talked about it. You're not offering me anything. All you're offering me is an empty life where I'm miserable because I can't do it anyway. I was trying to do it without Christ. Now suddenly I'm supposed to try and do it with Christ? Think through that. Real life is found in a relationship with the one who fulfilled all the requirements of the law on my behalf. This is where, as we talk to others, it gets very personal to us. And I know this is a long intro into what the four purposes of the law is, but we have to get this. Uh, it's uh, Christ didn't just die for me. That, that's only one part of the purpose of Christ's coming. He didn't just die for me. He completed, he fulfilled the law for me because I couldn't. And we forget that that part, that literally he did this, it, it's, the great, it's the great banking exchange of heaven that we will never comprehend. All we can do is glorify it. He who knew no sin became sin for me that I might be the righteousness of Christ. There was this exchange of life, not an exchange of right or wrong, not an exchange of sin and righteousness, but an exchange of life. God gave his life into me, in Christ, so that I would live. 
not, not just like it eternally live, like eternally live now. It's, it's a weird concept. To live eternally now, right, right now in this present tense. The law doesn't save us. The law doesn't sanctify us or teach us how to please God. The law cannot teach you how to please God. So what does the law do? <laughs> and here's the other thing. Most Christians believe that the law is the written word of God. That's not the law. The law is the demand of perfection. That's the law. Anything that is not perfect, the law shows. So, the first thing it does is this. For per, now, there's more than just this. I'm, this is a primer. Okay, it's not encompassing or we'd be here till 4 o'clock this afternoon. You'd be exhausted and you probably wouldn't want to come back because I didn't serve you a lunch. First thing it does is the law reveals our sinful state. That's why it's not a bad thing. The law is incredible because it reveals sin. It draws attention to your, my, what used to be, what was once my confinement under sin. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become aware of or conscious of sin. The law identifies it. Uh, Let me read Romans 3 to you. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. If somebody doesn't understand the law, it's not sin to them. How does that work with heathens? I don't know. Did you hear it? I don't don't, don't know. There's something in the miraculous of God that somebody who has never taught the law is not condemned by the law that they don't know. How does that work in God? I don't know. But it's right there in Romans. It's so clearly laid out. But here's the one thing I do know. It's the same with us. We don't know what sin is until the law tells us. Now what about, I can figure it out in my heart. Well, when you receive Christ, guess where the law was written? Your heart. A Christian doesn't have to be told that's wrong, that's sinful. They know. How many of you like if we really pulled down our I'm fine mask, we would all go, yep. I don't just casually sin. Neither do you. Oh, did I do that? Yeah, yeah you did. You knew it. In nanoseconds, you process it. Matter of fact, if you're a legalist, you decide how much grace God's going to give you this time. Who could possibly know? (laughs) 
who would figure that? And so we became, oh, we spend nanoseconds of time, but our minds just, they process it. And then there's always a little bit of, have you noticed that there's fear? Because there's always a fear about judgment. Hmm, I know God, he'll uncover me in this so it gets, then we, it's just too close to home. We just do those. I mean, seriously, we process it so fast. Our, our thinking gets ahead of our thinking. Because of the next thing about the law that we sort of know, but we don't like to deal with. So the second purpose of the law is actually to inflame sin. Huh? It does this inside of us. So this is sort of Christianity basics. I didn't know I was sinning, but now that I do, I'll stop. Sure. (laughs) Sure you will. Anybody that's been walking with the Lord for more than three years is going, yeah, that don't work. (laughs) Yep, that don't work at all. You try and, isn't it weird? And the way temptation works, the more you try to stand against that thing, the more power it seems to employ towards your heart, towards your life. I'll I'll never do that again. Really? That is called flesh. We think sinning is the flesh part, but the flesh part is trying to prove that my flesh can overcome sin, which it can't, because the law inflames it. Strange purpose. Paul, writing in in Romans to his dismay, Paul finds that his law-keeping efforts only made things worse. But sin, he says in, in verse 8 of Romans 7, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. <laughs> For apart from the law, sin was dead. It was actually the law that gave us life. So you would walk by that pile of rocks over and over and over again and ignore it till somebody puts out a sign that says, do not throw rocks. The legalist says in their heart, okay, I'm never, I want to throw the rock, but I am never going to throw, I'm going to quit walking this way because that, that sign says don't throw it. And then those of us who are wonderful iconoclasts and like have a little bit of stinker in us, none of you, of course, well, just one right through the window of that building. Oh, oh, I shouldn't have done that. The law was brought in, Romans 5 says, so that the trespass might increase. Because not only did you throw the rock, but now you threw it at a building and broke the window. The harder you try to keep the law, the stronger sin becomes, for the power of sin is in the law. It's a really, this is so hard to... This is where your knower comes in. You, you know that that's the truth. You can't 
often explain it, even in your own life, but you know it's true. First Corinthians 15 says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. <laughs> this is the incredible verse. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Say, don't look to the law. Look to who? Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, we think that means keeping the law. That's what I was taught was the work of the Lord. That's not the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is he planted an incorruptible seed inside of you. That was the work of God. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Christ in me? I, isn't that an amazing thing? Stunning. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That means, uh, okay, you're just like the sloppy agape Sloppy grace people just going to trust God for everything, aren't you? Yes. Oh, yes. Because really there's no place written that it calls it sloppy grace. It just calls it grace. Now, it does call it abounding grace or hyper grace. Because where the sin is, there is more to grace. That's stunning. So we think we're going to actually achieve more by taking less grace. Actually, you're going to take way more by taking more grace. Say, oh God, I need more, not less. I need it abounding in my life. God didn't give us a law to help us overcome sin. Anybody else either. The law is meant to help sin overcome you. Huh? The law empowers sin to overcome you because it's a minister of death. It does this by demanding that you perform day in and day out and you finally come to the recognition and go, I'm not doing this right. It's like over and over going through, going through the Princess Bride over and over until you finally realize, go, I don't think I know what that word means. And you're yelling at yourself, stop that rhyming and I mean it. <laughs> yeah, I'm really hungry. I'll eat more peanuts, but I'm allergic to them, but I'll eat another peanut. We do this inside. I know I'm making funny of this, but we got to laugh at ourselves because it's pitiful. It's pitiful. We would rather try and keep the law than receive grace. And we want others to tell us to keep the law rather than receive grace. And Christ is going, receive grace. That's what I came for. I came for this purpose. I really love you, kid. I took care of it. It's the done deal. So, third purpose of law. The very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brings death. Romans 7, 9 says this. 
I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, killed me. There's one result to sin. Death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. That's Romans 7, 10, and 11. It's amazing. My pages are stuck. God did not give us the law to help us overcome sin. The law is meant to help sin always overcome you. The law ministers death, and it does this by demanding that performance. And then it says this, secretly, inside of ourselves, because if I'm living under the law, I see myself as a sinner, because that's what the law identifies as sin. So if I identify with the law as my relationship to God, what do I then have to say to myself? You are a sinner. And I will add, because we like the song, you are a sinner saved by grace. And so my identity now with the law is the result of it, which if I sin, then I'm a sinner. And I don't identify with the grace of God, which gave me life. It gave me a new identity. Now that's a whole nother sermon, but I'm... It's like, you know, it's the old uh, somewhat Pentecostal preacher. Come on, you sinners. Uh, Urged on by the merciless law, we run into the stone wall of our life over and over and over again until we're smashed and broken and every one of our pathetic promises are exposed as baseless. Because the law demands that you do it. And you can't. I can't do this. What a wretch I am. Who will rescue me from this prison of death? Jesus did. He did rescue you. What is your confession? Coming to God. This is where Romans 12 is so key. I present myself to you, God, as holy and blameless. And this is my reasonable service. This is what you require, that I identify with who you are in me. And you are holy and you are blameless, therefore I am. And that's how we present ourselves to God. That's actually true repentance, so I don't like the word repentance. That's the true correct thinking, the true understanding of the grace of God. It identifies me completely who I am in Christ and exposes the law. Fourth one. And, and this is actually, this is, if you will, uh, one writer says, this is the law's finest purpose of, of all the things that it does. Uh, 
And, and why do we need the law? Yes, you, you need the law for a season. Not to live under it, though. The law is our guardian, is human beings' guardian until Christ comes into their life so that we can be justified by faith. And it's only through faith in Christ that you're justified. It's Romans 5. Now, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I love this stuff. Listen to Galatians 3 once again. Is the law against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given us life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. If it was possible, God would have done it that way. If we could have kept the law, that's the way we'd still have it today. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And the word there means those who receive it. We believe by receiving it. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor. It's not your friend. It's a tutor. It's an instructor. It's a guide. It's why we actually use law when we're raising children. It's a tutor to them as they come into Christ. But if you just use the law with your kids and there's no moving them Faith in Christ, um, I'm going to say a very harsh statement. They're going to grow up despising you. They will despise you. I got to teach that kid right and wrong. You better teach that kid the love of God. You better make it evident over and over and over and over again. The ultimate purpose of the law is to point each one of us to Jesus so that we can be set free from sin, not to sin, from sin, and live no longer in it. I don't live in sin. You're saying you never sin. I don't live in sin. I live in Christ. I have been set free from the law of sin and death. And I've been made alive to the law of the spirit of life in Christ, in Christ Jesus. So I live now under grace, not under law. So so get this, when it says to, the law isn't your teacher, your friend, your protector. The law will take you to someone who is. Always do that. It's a guide. He's the one who will lead you to Jesus. If you stop at the law, you can't get right. It's got to go the one more step to the lawgiver. And this is actually what Romans 10 means. This is a, this is a really hard one to explain to, to non-believers uh, in the grace of God. Uh, Christ is the end of the law to those who believe. 
And to those who wrap their understanding and their faith around it, this is the most, one of the, there's like three or four key scriptures for now. One is Acts, in him we live and move and have our being. And then there's this one in Romans, well, actually, Romans 5 through 8. But this one, <laughs> there's this one in Romans which declares that he became the end of the law for me. For me. If you've met Jesus, the law has fulfilled its purpose. You have no further need of the law. You can dismiss it as a good and faithful servant. That means when it awakens in your heart, when you're getting ready to do something, you go, yep, that ain't right. When it says that, you go, oh, thank you. Jesus, I trust you. You're going to walk me through this day. You have guarded me. And in you, I live and move and have my being, and I don't need anything else, no matter what this temptation is saying to me. Thank God for the law that leads us to Christ. So one final thing, if you hang in with me, two more minutes, okay? Well, you don't have any cho- Well, you do have a choice, but I don't think you'd all get up. If you all get up and walk out at me, then I'll just stand in grace. I'll stand in grace anyway. The gospel of grace is life-giving water to a thirsty soul. Mix it with a little bit of the death-dealing law and it becomes a very toxic message inside of you. Not to other people, but inside of you. If that mixture, this is, this is the one thing that is our testimony to those who try to live under the law is I don't. And even the accusation of, well, you just do whatever you want then. The truth and honest response is, well, yes, but you ought to see what I want. Because it's not what you think. It's not generated from the law. It's generated from Christ. And I want to trust him with my entire being. And when I trust him with my entire being, I don't have need of other things to shore up the lack of trust I have. Is that good? It's a real clinker. I, they say, well, can you do whatever you want? Sure. But you ought to look at what I want. It might be more demanding than what you want. Because the one thing I've learned is the grace of God is actually more <laughs> demanding with me, but as much demand that it has, it has equal amount of empowerment. It empowers me to do that which I want to do, which is to trust God with my whole life. Thing, isn't it? It's an easy way inside of you to recognize law. And it's this as you're processing your life and the things that happen, are you using an equation that says if then? It goes like this. If you fully obey the Lord and follow his commands, you will be blessed. Then you will be blessed. However, if you do not obey the Lord and follow his commands, you will be cursed. Where's that found? Directly in the 
It's vintage. This is like, this is the nastiest old wine you could ever drink. This isn't like, oh, this is a fine vintage. No, this stuff will kill you. Because that's what it's designed to do. Are you speaking against the word of God? No, I'm speaking about living by the law. I'm not speaking about the word of God. I'm talking about living by the law. If you listen, if you seek, if you follow, if you obey, uh, the different command, the commands may change in your life, but religious law today is expressed exactly in the same way, and it comes out, and this isn't just about that, but if you fast and pray, then God will answer you. It's such a legalistic approach to prayer. Are you saying we shouldn't fast? If the Lord leads you to fast, by all means, fast. But don't tell me that you heard that I'm supposed to do it with you. Because that's called legalism. You're hearing God for my life. Huh. What? But it's not just the thing about fasting. There's lots of things that we do with this. If you avoid sin, he will receive you. Make sure there's nothing between you and the Lord. No, it's taken care of. There's nothing between you. Well, have you made sure that you're right with God? No, Jesus took care of that. He made really sure that I'm right with God. He did everything necessary to make sure that I would always be right with God. He said, is there any area of unconfessed sin in your life, brother? I... No, I don't live that way anymore, so I don't think about it. I go to God to get forgiven, or to, because I am forgiven, not to get forgiven, so I don't process it that same way. It's like somebody trying to speak math to a non-math brain. I am not math-brained anymore. Don't use your equations on me because I got rid of them. And my operating system no longer recognizes... It no longer recognizes floppy disks. You cannot make my computer work that way. There is nothing wrong with serving. There's nothing wrong with praying. There is nothing wrong with fasting. There is nothing wrong with helping other people. There is nothing wrong with being kind. As a matter of fact, there's everything right about being kind. But you can turn kindness into legalism. The problem is the lie that says God's blessings depend on me doing them. To get them, to get God to recognize. That's the old way of the law, and it's completely opposed to the new way of grace. The living word. So, close with this. Hebrews. Hebrews 4. The word is living and sharper than a... Revealing the difference between soul and spirit, dividing between that. He's not talking about words written on a page. He was referencing Christ. Whenever, when you see the living word, they're talking about Jesus. Jesus. 
No wonder you can divide between soul and spirit. He lives in you. We try to use the word legally to divide between soul and spirit. And it's the living word of Christ in me that does that. That's why I say it's in him I live and move and have my being. If you're going to the Bible to tell you how to live, you're not living in the living word. The Bible will help you. It can instruct you. You can learn things from it. It's incredible. It will reveal God. It will. But I live by the one that lives in me. Does that make So that's what, that's Hebrews 11. And then it goes on right from, you know, or not Hebrews 11, um, Hebrews 4. And then it goes right from 12 right down to verse 16. We therefore come boldly where? Where does the throne of grace exist? I don't have to go someplace. And, and though I know we sing the songs, and it's okay. I'm not like kicking every can down the road. But take me to the secret place. And he goes, you're my secret place. What are you talking about? I'm here. I live in you, kiddo. Well, you want to get more secret? I don't know how to get more secret than I'm hidden in you. We have this treasure hidden in earthen vessels. Oh, my gosh, I'm the secret place. Oh, my gosh, I'm the place of prayer. This is where you want to meet with me at. Oh, my gosh, this is where you want to talk to me about my life. Oh, my gosh, this is where the promises are found. Oh, my gosh, this is life. Right here. Come boldly to a throne of grace. That means The word boldly means there's no, there's no subscriptions that have to be applied or made out for. To do what? Receive grace and obtain mercy. Life. Life. So let me pray. Stand with me. Isn't this fun to share? You guys can share this with others. Yes, you can, because in him you live and move and have your being. This is the overflow that starts oozing out of our out of our pores under other people. Listen, they are so hungry for it. If there's any generation that needs this right now, they're probably going to have to have the law come to tutor them to it. We did. But if there's any generation that needs this message, and you are the message, you are the gospel. I'm the gospel. It's who we are. Jesus Everything within you moves our being to declare who you are. From the songs we sang this morning, to the interactions we have with our kids, to the joking, to the seriousness, to the awesomeness. Lord, for each of us, I declare this morning, in you we live, move, have our being. I declare over each heart, in this room, that they are your secret place. They are the place where you dwell, where you find that you wanted and longed to live your life in. I ask that the incorruptible seed that is Christ would break into gigantic revelation in each of our hearts. 
at the excitement of the very key to the universe and life itself lives in us. And that no person can bind me again, not even me. You have set me free. You've set each heart in here free. And if they are free, they are free indeed. In Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be so gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, his very presence. Give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.